you. Man, you guys, be seated. Give it up for Jesus as you do. Wow. It's just so cool. Every time I get here, it just feels like I'm home. It's such an easy church. I mean, I love where I'm planted, but if I was ever moved to Canada, I'd probably be planted right here. Amen. I'm not saying that's prophetic, but it just feels so normal. I see the worship. I see the praise. I'm almost like, wait, I have to go preach and get in the middle of that? Well, let's pray, you guys. God, you are so good. And Lord, we have worshipped. We have received. God, we speak life to those who have suffered loss. We speak life to those who have gained life right now, Lord. For those who have gone on and graduated, they are more alive today than ever. They are up there with my mother, even with the child that my wife miscarried. Lord, I encourage those today who are mourning because the Bible says we don't mourn like those with no hope. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that life would flow. And now, God, as we jump into some of this deep, deep text today, a teaching we know, Lord, that you're going to speak. Holy Spirit, you are as much prophetic as you are a teacher. Minister hearts. Let them know they are yours. They are secure, God. Those who are still dead in sin would come to faith. Those who are feeling weak would be made strong. Thank you, Jesus, Holy Spirit, that you are roaming these aisles. And, God, that you are looking down with your promises of abundance for your children. And in Jesus' name we pray and say... Well, guys, I'm so blessed. I feel like we've had about five or six intros. I think, Pastor Mark, it is five or six times. Who knows? I'm sure there'll be a seven. Amen. Amen. But I'll say this, and I said this last night, is that I literally got into ministry as a skateboarder not knowing what I was doing. And I think probably the first place I was ever invited was this church. And out of the blue, I believe it was either Pastor Jen or Pastor Mark or someone reached out and said, would you come to Canada to speak? Wait, you want me to come to speak, not to skate? And they said, no, to come to speak. And I said, you want me to speak three times in a row? You know how scary that is for a professional skateboarder who doesn't think he's a preacher, amen? But I said to the Lord when he saved me from depression, suicide, divorce, all that he restored, I said, Lord, wherever you open doors, I'm going to go. And I say that to affirm that for this house back then, that caused me to step out of the boat, and I did not sink. Why? Because both this house and myself, and as we all should be doing, are looking who? Unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. I think about the greatest compliment I could give this place as well, and it's a fact that my daughter Eden, Eden, stand up, baby, just to embarrass you for a second. Wave to your new family. <laughs> She slept in till 12 and woke up uh, feeling tired today. But I say that to say she's never traveled with me. She's never gotten on a plane with me. The first place she came is here. And why? Because I want to finish this year saying what a family to connect with, running around with your sons and daughters. And we could just do this all day and brag on the church and God. Amen. Well, here's the reality. If you have your Bibles, go over to Leviticus 19. Actually, go to Leviticus 16. And last night, what was the goal? The goal was that you would be rooted in your marriage. If you're not rooted, if you don't stand on the promises of God, what really is your marriage? Are you deceiving yourself, your spouse? You're definitely not deceiving God. It's important that you stay rooted. And as I began to prepare for this, I feel like what the Lord showed me was that there's people who believe, but they doubt they believe. The same way I can believe for my marriage and I'm, I'm rooted, I need to be rooted in my faith. What I mean by that is as a pastor, I will sit with you when someone dies. I will sit with you when one of your, your spouse goes crazy. I will sit with you when you fall into sin. But the sad thing is, 
I can't sit with you when you're no longer in the church. I can't sit with you when you're no longer dancing and skipping, even sitting in the back saying, this is too much to bear. And I'm saying that because the Lord does a work in us when he saves us, amen? But I believe we can sometimes depend so much on our flesh that we talk ourselves, in a sense, out of believing. I've seen people go through seasons of doubt, seasons of judging themselves when they struggle. If you're a perfectionist, you want to live this whole life right, guys, you are not going to. I would love to. I'm sure Pastor Ron has tried. We're going to fall in some way. And if you gauge your faith, your salvation on you, you are missing it. And in fact, it's idolatry. Amen? I say that because I remember years ago, I've never really doubted my fate, but I've went through seasons with God. But there's certain times when you just see something and you say, wow, I need to understand that. I need to sit in this promise. And so today, where I want to go is into the book of Leviticus. And why? Well, Ephesians tells us to put all the whole armor of what? God. And it tells us to yield the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And you think about Leviticus and you say, it's this old book that my grandma wrote and I can't even spell it and where it is in the Bible. But I'll tell you that Leviticus is a mighty book. It's one of the most overlooked books in the page of the Bible because I remember reading and digging into where I'm going to go today and it encouraged my faith and my heart, I believe from the Lord is, that you would leave here secured. You had an amazing encounter just a few weeks ago with a big prophetic conference and the Lord moves like that and I'll tell you, I would love to worship for two hours and see what the Lord says but sometimes he says, Brian, I need you to stand and deliver this message so we're going to unpack this, and I'm believing as you leave and you begin to see what unfolds about halfway through, you're going to say, this is what I have to hold on to. This is who the Son of God is. Because as we jump into Leviticus 16, here's what's going on. There's a huge problem. The huge problem is God is separated from his people. Jesus didn't show up back then. They didn't even have the Holy Spirit. And so the nation's in sin. And so God cannot dwell with the people. And the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. And what needs to happen in order for this to be taken care of? Life, life must be given for death to be taken care of. The wages of sin is what death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. What we're going to go today is a passage that's called the atonement. And it's a work of God. It's one of these Christian words, but actually it's a Hebrew Jewish word. And it's about how God would send his son a foreshadow to shed his blood and what he would do. How God would then be able to approach the people, approach you and I as we're hidden in that nation back then. And we could begin to walk in communion with him. As we unpack Leviticus, a couple of things to think about. It's written by Moses. And Moses isn't just a teacher. Moses is a prophet. I mean, think about the idea that Moses wrote Genesis. Moses wasn't there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Moses was not sitting there floating around and just saying, oh, this is what God did. It is all downloaded revelation. And so far in the book of Leviticus, it's been very practical, but suddenly it's about to shift gears. Suddenly Moses is about to give these prophetic verses because the book of Leviticus is really a blueprint for the Messiah. See, he doesn't even like preaching out Leviticus right now. You think about it, though, and I'm saying that to say there's a foreshadow. 
If I had a light right here and was making a bird with my hands, you would see the foreshadow before you seen what I was doing, and this is where we're going. Moses is a prophet, and this passage today is about Jesus, but I'll qualify it with this. Thousands of years later, when Jesus walked the earth, he says this in John 5, 46. He told them who were questioning him, if you believe Moses, you would believe me because Moses wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Meaning if you knew the first five books, you would find me in them. You would see me. I am the resurrected living Christ. He was going to go on to be. And one of my favorite passages in scripture. If I could say, God, just show me anything. Give me a video. If I could sit down with Jesus and say, what did you say this day? Do you know what I'd want to say? I'd want to say, what did you say on the road to Emmaus? You'd lived, you'd died, you'd resurrected. There's a seven-mile strip, and Jesus begins to walk the road of Emmaus with these disciples, and they don't recognize Jesus. And I begin, as he begins to unpack who he is, he says this in Luke 24, 25, to launch us off into the day's message. He says, how foolish you are. And guys, if God ever tells you you're foolish, which he should most of the time, amen, let's lend an ear and listen. He says, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, that's Leviticus. That's Jesus teaching on himself in Leviticus. He explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. He literally unpacked the first five books of the Bible. I mean, can you imagine just really knowing what it all meant? Jesus did that. And so as we get into this today, the Day of Atonement, this is one of the Jewish feasts. Many of you have probably heard of the Jewish feasts. Anyone? There's seven Jewish feasts, and the more Jews that are coming to faith, the more they're beginning to almost give us revelation on what's happening what are the Jewish feasts? Well, in fact, they're not really Jewish. They're God's feast. And if we put image one up on the screen, I believe I sent it in. This is what it says. Considering this image, here's what Leviticus 23 says. He says, these are my appointed festivals, says God. They are my appointed feasts. These are the feasts of the Lord, and you are to proclaim them as sacred assemblies. You see, if I say to you today, how many days are in the year? What do you say? 360 what? Five, but in that day and age it wasn't. There was 360. And in fact, if you're familiar with the Jewish feast, I want to tell you that I believe Jesus has to fulfill all of these feasts. What do I mean by that? See the first feast right there, it's Passover. Who died then? Jesus. What is the second one? Unleavened bread. He went down, there was no sin, he was buried. What is the third one? First fruits. He was the firstborn among, among men. He's the resurrection. What is the next one? We know that you had a Holy Spirit conference about a month ago. This is the day of Pentecost. Amen? Amen. But you see this gap in the middle? That's the spring. To the Jew, you know what it's called? Harvest time. That's where we're living right now in this gap. Because the last thing we experienced is Pentecost. That's why the Bible says the harvest is ripe because now is when we harvest. Amen? I believe when Jesus returns, he has to fulfill these final three. And I'm not going to go into this. I'm just showing you how amazing God is. But if I was to say to you today, when is the start of the year, what would you say? January 1st. 
If you were to go to Jerusalem on that brochure the lady gave me yesterday, 2020, wherever she is, God bless you, amen. But if you were to say to a Jew, when does the new year begin, you know what they would say? They'd say, no man knows the day or the hour. They literally would say that. And if you were to say, how do we figure out? Well, they'd say, well, see this feast right here? The Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. Two rabbis have to go outside and wait. And we don't know which day it will happen, but it's one of two days. And when it happens, 99 trumpets are blown and a final trumpet. And that is when many believe the church will be taken. Why? Because we have a day of atonement, a final day, and then we have tabernacles. I'm saying all this to say this is how the Jews understand it. When you are witnessing the Jews and you reveal this, it blows their mind. But for you and I, why do I feel like God led us here? Because today we're going to focus on, to me, the most important one, the Day of Atonement. If you're there in Leviticus 16, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that this was a festival all about our sin. All the things you've thought today, even what you're saying now about my crazy accent, even though I don't have one, amen? You are the guys with the accent. All the things that have happened this year, when the Day of Atonement came around, we would fast and we would mourn and we would get in an altar. And we'd say, I've done this sin, and I've been mad at this person, and they've been mad at me. And it was a time to gather together and say as a nation, God, forgive us. And I want you to know there's two kinds of sin. There's a sin of commission that you walk into. You are comfortable walking into this, but there's the sin of omission. You have no idea you're performing this sin. There's a sin where you willingly do something you shouldn't. There's a sin where someone cuts you off in the road. You say something you shouldn't. You're like, really? That's what I did? It was that quick. And see, on the Day of Atonement, and here's why I want you to get this, regardless what kind of sin it was, as long as you were there on the Day of Atonement, as long as there was an offering given, every single sin in the whole camp, in Christ's city, in the service today, on this day, it was all forgiven. As long as you see these things that are going to unfold, because for you and I, amen, James 4, 17 says, he who knows the good he ought to do and isn't doing it is sinning. So in a sense, we're sinning all the time in many ways. Am I always worshiping? Am I always praising? Am I always seeking the Lord? No. I'm a pastor and I'm wrestling with the flesh. Anyone with me? This is church. Raise up your hand. This will preach. Amen. But my point is, as we get into this today, we're going to see how not to approach God and how God approached those. Leviticus 16.1. Are you ready? By the way, on this day, this was the day where they had the tabernacle. This was the day when only the high priest could enter in. And this is the kind of thing we read and say, oh, this is so old-fashioned. It's not. It's radical. You're going to see the beauty of God hidden in the text here. Leviticus 16.1. This is how you are not to enter the presence of God. Not to. It said, now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother, so this is his nephews. When they offered profane fire before the Lord and they fell down dead. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into this holy place, inside the veil, behind the mercy seat which is on the ark, unless he shall die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. You see, in chapter 10, what had happened is his nephews had come before the Lord. They had gone before the Lord to offer a sacrifice, and no one on the whole planet was allowed to offer it except for the high priest. Aaron was the high priest. And so as they went in to give a sacrifice, they were consumed by fire. They were literally fired. 
Some say it's because they didn't honor the man of God. Some say it's because they came drunk, but I'll tell you this as a side note. If you go to work drunk, you're probably going to get fired. That's your issue. Repent. Amen. Whatever took place, they showed up that day and they went to the Lord and there was no reverence. It wasn't about when the Lord said. It wasn't about what the Lord wanted. It was on their terms doing whatever they wanted. As they approached it, it is a dangerous thing. And why am I saying this? Because we live in a world today where from people I was talking to on the planes, from people I was messaging this week, from good friends of mine, Everyone nowadays, whether it's New Ageism or whatever occult, we're trying to approach God in our own ideas, approaching the God we've created in our image, rather than worshiping the God in whose image we are made. Amen? This verse is saying, do not approach God the way you want. Remember, you can freely approach God through Christ today, but they couldn't. This was still hidden. And so as they approached the Lord, they were consumed by fire because they got in the way of what Aaron was called to do in just a few days. What I find amazing about this passage to speak to you and me that can kind of release us from some stuff is that we live in a world where we want to be perfect. Amen? I want to help us with something. I want the perfect me, the perfect wife, the perfect kids, the perfect house, the perfect Christ City Church, the perfect you. But that is not perfection. I want perfection in an imperfect world. And when God says, be holy as I'm holy, that's not what he means. He doesn't mean have a spotless house, have everything in order, make sure everything's how you want it. What the idea of perfection is, is seeking first the kingdom. What the idea of perfection is, is going to the Lord first. The sons, Nadab and Abihu, didn't do this. They were consumed by fire. And what you should realize in your life is, stop trying to live a perfect life and begin to pursue the perfect God. Amen. Your life is going to get messy. The house is going to get rusty. We talked about last night, you have a beautiful baby, and baby food comes in one end smelling one way, and it goes out the other smelling another. This world is crazy. Amen. I know. I've had three kids. They approach God in the wrong sense, and it's crazy because they didn't have access to God like we do. You and I have access through Jesus at all times now, but for them, it was once a year. And as I'm unpacking this, I'm taking us to a place, but as Aaron's meant to go into this place, here's what it says in verse 2. God says, I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. You see, they didn't know Jesus was coming at that time. So God would only appear in a cloud. Do you remember when God spoke to Moses? And God told Moses to go, and Moses said, I'm not going unless you go with me. And how did God go? God went with them how? By a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by what? Night. God is so holy, man is so full. And they're saying, even when the high priest goes in, a cloud has to come down to hide the glory of God. Because if man were to look upon God's presence, what would happen? He would die. He'd be consumed. He'd be banned up like Moses' nephews. And so as we see this, we don't have the right to approach God. Dead in sin for 24 years, living for self. Have you ever told a lie? If you're not raising your hand, you're lying now. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says all of us will die because of sin. James 2.10 says if you've sinned once, you're guilty. I didn't know this. But as they got comfortable with God, whoever they thought God was and approached, they were consumed. And now we see how to approach God. Verse 3. It says, Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. 
He would kill this bull for himself and his family. But now he goes deeper and he says this in verse 4. And we begin to see Jesus unpacked. He says, he shall put on the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. And he shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban he shall be attired. They are holy garments. God is saying, as this man approaches me, I want it to be linen and humble and lowly. And if you know anything about a high priest, if he showed up in this room today, in this church today, in this city, he would stand out more than anyone. You could put Wayne Gretzky next to him and this man would stand out more so how. He had a blue suit, a golden chest plate. He had an ephod on his head. He walked around with basically a scepter. And when he showed up, he was the man of God. It was all outward. And here, what is God saying? No. On this day when you come, high priest Aaron, to represent all the Christ city and all the church and all those believers, as you enter in, I don't want anything of worth besides you. And I want humility. And I want lowly garments. And you say, Brian, what are you saying? Well, Aaron's the high priest. Who is he a foreshadow of? Jesus. You see, when Jesus showed up, did he show up walking on streets of gold? No. Did he carry a golden scepter? No, he carried a shepherd's rod. Did he have a crown of gold on his head? No, he had a crown of thorns. Was he robed in the heavenly garments? Did he look like the prophet Daniel said, where you could see him and his eyes were a blaming fire? Was he so majestic that we couldn't even stand in his presence? No, because Jesus humbled himself, still bold and full of who he was, but he said, I have to become lowly and like all of us, so as I go and enter in, I can take on their sin and fulfill the purpose. We read Leviticus and say, who is Aaron? Aaron is a type of Jesus, but the difference is Aaron also has to be forgiven. Jesus never did. And so what takes place here is as he comes in, verse 7. You guys following me today? It says, Aaron shall take with him two goats, and he'll present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So picture if this building is the place. And certain people are allowed in. And there's certain layers. I'm talking about the tabernacle, the tent, not the temple. So by the time you get to this holy of holies, only Aaron can go in. And only once a year. And when Aaron went in, do you know what was tied to his foot? A rope. If Pastor Ron represented Aaron as he goes in, we're there with the priest, myself and Pastor Mark, we've got the rope, and we're hoping God will receive the sacrifice for all of us. Because if God doesn't like what's going on, sorry, Pastor Ron, but you fall down, we've got to pull you out. Amen. Thank God it wasn't Pastor Ron. But that's what the Bible says. Aaron goes behind once a year. Everyone else is consumed. But he says, he'll take the two goats before the Lord. And Aaron will begin to cast lots for the two goats, a lot for the Lord and a lot for the scapegoat. And if we put image two up here, you'll see what we're talking about in just a moment. So this is what's taking place. They're outside and they've got their two goats. And you see what's in the priest's hand? That's a lot. That's a stone that was engraved with numbers or writing and they would cast it. And whatever it said, and this is amazing, whatever it said, that's what the Lord chose. You see, if you speak to a Jew today, they don't believe in chance or look. Stop using those words. There's no such thing as chance or look. To them, everything that happens is sovereign. 
If you roll a dice and it's number three, the Lord chose number three. And so they would cast this lot. And however it landed, to the left or the right, one goat was being sacrificed and one goat was being sent out into the wilderness. And some of you are saying, well, Brian, isn't this like gambling? It would be, but it's the Lord doing it. So whatever they chose to do and whatever happened, they said it's God. That's why a Jew can say, whatever happens, I'm trusting the Lord. If it's good or bad, if I lose my job or not, if I'm diagnosed or not, it rains on the just and the unjust. Whatever takes place, God is sovereign. It's not just my lot. But here's the thing. You say, well, why don't we use lots today? They use lots all all the way up to the New Testament. And then what happened? What happened was Jesus died and resurrected. Judas betrayed Jesus. And so Judas ended up hanging himself, going down the hillside, and his entrails came out, and they said, we need another apostle. Anyone remember what they did? They cast what? They cast lots, and the lots fell to Matthias. Why did it stop right after that? Because who showed up on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit. The reason we don't cast lots anymore because I'm not depending on a sovereignty of some sign of a, of, a, of a, whatever you call this, a rock, whatever engraved. We are now led by who? The Spirit of God. So in this picture, here they are. Here's the goats and note the red sash. All the people are waiting. There's you and me with all our sins. What you thought last night, what you did when you were five, what happened to you when you were 10. The nation's thinking about it all. And they know and they believe probably more than you and me, if I'm honest, because this is physical. The second one of these goats dies and the second one of these goats is sent out. We are good. Hallelujah. Get the popcorn and pizza out. We're going to rejoice. We're good to go. And so as this has taken place, it says, Aaron shall bring the goat, verse 9, of which the Lord's lot fell, and he will offer this as a sin offering. But the goat of which the lot fell will be a scapegoat, and this will be sent out alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, and it will be led into the wilderness. He takes the two goats, and when the lot falls to the left, this goat will die. The blood will be shed, your sins will be covered, that's for forgiveness. But now the sins have to be gone and cast somewhere. So the second goat, the high priest will lay his hands on and he will send this goat out into the what? The wilderness. You need both the sacrifice and you need both the forgiveness because this is what atonement is. This is why the priest would take his hands and lay them on the head and he would transfer all of your sins. Are you following me? We haven't even got to where this is going to go and your mind's going to be blown. Aaron enters in. He has the goats. And now how does he get behind the holy of holies? And he will take a censer full of burning coals. Here it is, a fire before the Lord. And his hands will be full of sweet incense. And he will enter behind the veil. He separates the goats. And we know what's going to die. We know what's going to be sent out. And he enters behind the curtain. The curtain was four inches thick. It took 30 to 50 men to hang. And only the priest could go behind. And as he went behind, what would take place? Let's put image three up on the screen and we'll see. He's now entering in. He now walks in. You're familiar with this picture. He enters in. Here's the incense he's offering on our behalf as a loving, praising, sweet aroma to the Lord saying, receive this blessing. But as he enters in, he's standing before what? It says in verse 13, he will put incense on the fire before the Lord 
And as the incense burns, the cloud of the incense will cover the mercy seat. That's important. Underline that if you're there. That is on the testimony unless he shall what? Die. Here's the whole summary of the Bible in this picture. God is about to invade this place. And Aaron is standing in the middle as the mediator. And these angels are looking down to the presence of what? The glory of the Lord. What is in the ark, you guys? Remember Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones? Oh, we know what's in it. The Bible tells us, amen? What is in the ark? The ten what? Commandments. What do you think happens if God Almighty shows up and he reads the ten commandments and Aaron is standing there representing you and I and he begins to unpack the ten commandments? Thou shalt not blaspheme. You ever done it? I'm guilty. Thou shalt not bear false witness. I've done it even against myself. Thou shalt not do this and do that. If the presence of the Lord shows up right now and he looks upon the Ten Commandments, you are instantly killed. So what did God do? He put in the middle of God's wrath and God's judgment a mercy seat. And God's presence would show up in the cloud. And God wouldn't look down. And instead, he would sustain and you would meet him in a place of mercy. And Aaron, be it past the wrong, would be in there. And he would begin to confess the sins. He would begin to speak life. And some of you should say amen. Why? Because this is the picture of Jesus Christ coming. Amen? This would take place on the 10th day, 10th day of the seventh month. Why? Because 10 represented the Ten Commandments and 7 represented perfection. So you know when 10-7 came around, oh man, the commandments, I'm guilty. But 7, God is perfect. We're going to go today and we're going to worship today. And Aaron's going to enter in. And as he does all of this, when we leave that place, you'll be able to go home and actually rest. No longer receiving the lies of Satan condemning you. Amen. None of your sins are bigger than the blood of Jesus. Get over yourself. You are not that radical. Why am I saying this? Because as this is taking place, Aaron, what are you going to do next? And here's what Aaron does. He's got a bowl there. And do you know what's on his finger? Blood. The blood from one of the animals is on his finger. And it gets crazy. Verse 14. You can leave this, this image up there though. But verse 14 says, He will take some of the blood of the bull and he shall sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle the blood with his finger. How many times? Seven times. Seven times. Seven is the number of perfection. When it's done seven times, it is done. It is perfect. And notice where the blood is shed. It is in the midst of the mercy seat. So when God looks down, what does he see? He doesn't see the Ten Commandments. What does he see? The blood. He sees the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the what? blood of Jesus. There's death. The wage of sin is death. Blood must be shed for our sins. And we see this picture. What's amazing about this is that the priest would sprinkle it seven times. And theologians, many of them would say that Jesus actually shed his blood in seven places. They said that when Jesus rode in the city that day, his blood would be shed first in the garden where he sweat blood for you and I. Do you guys get that Whoever you are, wherever you are, whether you're here every day or you just strolled in, the Son of God went to a cross for you and he sweat his blood for you. I've never even met a human that has sweat 
blood. If you want to know if you were loved, he sweat his blood and he shouldn't have. He's the only person who should never have gone to the cross. You and I should have been on it. We're the ones in sin, yet he went. The first place he shed his blood was he sweat his blood. The second place was when he was whipped and scourged at the post. The third place was when he bled internally. The fourth was the crown of thorns. The fifth was his hands. The sixth were his feet. And the seventh was when his side was pierced. Why is the blood so important? Because if you read Genesis when Cain kills Abel, God shows up and says, where's your brother? Where's your brother? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? And he says, your brother's walk cries out to me. Your blood. The blood cries out to me. What do you think the blood of Abel is saying about Cain? What do you think the blood of sin is saying of you and me? It's saying guilt, shame, death, murderer, wrath, eternity separated. But the Bible says in the New Testament when Jesus came that his blood speaks a better word than the blood of who? Abel. What do you think Jesus' blood says about Brian who doesn't deserve any of this? What does the blood of Jesus say about you? He says love. He says life. He says victory. He says, salvation, this is not a guy preaching. This is Jesus. His blood is saying life, regeneration, born again, forgiveness, glory. This is the God we're worshiping. And guys, we're down here looking at him saying, God, you're so good. And he's looking at you. And I know it's all about God. But guys, you are the object of his affection. I see my daughter here bonding with you and it's loving, but God looks at all of us and sees it beyond what I could ever even carry in my heart. The blood looks down and we see this. And here's the thing though, how many of you think God didn't really know what was in the box? Like God's presence comes down and he's like, where's the Ten Commandments gone? <laughs> that is not what happened. I mean, God's omnipresent. He just knows what's in the box. He could have just pushed Aaron out the way, maybe killed him or not, and just opened the box and said, you guys, you guys are in sin, dead. God didn't do that. God chose in an act to show us where he would meet us. He spoke of a cloud of blood, of incense, of praise. He spoke through a priest, through a sacrifice, through an offering. All this takes place. And what that means for you is we shouldn't walk in here saying, what church are we going to today? What songs are they playing? Who's this funny sounding English guy? This isn't a church or a religion in that sense. No, around the world today are men or women like myself, Christians in a pulpit or not, preaching about God's love, sharing the witness. This is not somewhere we just come and check out like a comedy show. This is where your eternity has radically changed, amen? It took me till 24 dead in sin, on my way to hell, to encounter the risen Christ, and I have never been the same since. And most of you guys is just as crazy, if not crazier as I am. Amen. Give it up for the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But see, prior to this, guys, we haven't even got to the good stuff yet. Get ready. Prior to this, the cleansing was all about the temple, the tabernacle. It was all about his own family. And now it's going to begin to shift gears in just a moment. It says in verse 20, when he has made an end of atoning the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting, that means he's cleansed the building and the property, was still religious back then, he shall bring the live goat. And what must Aaron do? Aaron will lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, and he will confess over it 
all the iniquities. Notice he says all of the children of Israel. That's you and I by today's standards. He'll confess all of their sin concerning all of their transgressions. He will place them on the goat's head. How? I don't know, but this is how God chose to do it. He will send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. I love the first thing it says is that Aaron begins to confess. The Bible says we believe in our heart, but what we confess with our mouth. Can we put image four up for a second, you guys? This is amazing. He lays his hand upon the goat and he begins to confess. He says, oh Lord, we did this that year. Christ City did this. Brian's been thinking that. This person's been doing that. And he literally intercedes in that place. And he begins to pray. He begins to believe. He begins to transfer. Aaron is acting as a what? A mediator. He's standing in the gap. But here's what's crazy. Is this man has taken on the responsibility. And as he now lays his hand upon this goat. All of our sins are transferred over. And it says in verse 22. The goat shall, not it might, not it may, the goat shall bear on itself all of their, your, my sins. And they will be taken to an uninhabited land and he will release the goat into the wilderness. The prior rites were all done in the sacred place. But this was done before all of you could see, could celebrate. And here's what takes place. The goat would be have laid, hands laid on. And as he leaves down the aisle, you and I would see the goat. And then maybe Tyler in the back would say, here he is. And then maybe the guard at the door would say, here he goes. And then he would enter out and there wouldn't have been snow in Jerusalem. I'm guessing I could be wrong. Amen. And as he made it around the parking lot over there to that car park where I remember last time I was here, a hawk flew down and picked up a rabbit in front of me. Canada is crazy. Amen. <laughs> but as that goat approached the street, someone would say, there he is. And the last person would say, there he goes. And then someone would say, he's gone. And do you know what the thought is? As far as the east is from the west, my sins are what? Forgiven and forgotten. I'm going to be honest with you. I love the Lord. I know the Lord. And I believe I'm forgiven. But for some reason, it feels so much easier if we perform this ceremony and we all came down here and I was the priest and I just patted him on the head and we seen him go. For some reason, my flesh can believe that more than believe in what Jesus did. Because I can see that. And Tyler's shouting and the guard shouting and the guy at the place across the road, he's gone and we're all rejoicing and it's very physical. But that's not the case. That's not Christianity. Because if you're like me, I would want to run after the goat and keep putting more of my sins on it and say, I want to make sure this is real. And I'd even say, well, I've seen him or her sinning and I'm going to make sure it's real. That's not Christianity. What I'm saying when I live like that is I'm in and out, flopping all around and I don't understand the atonement, which is why I feel the Lord is having me unpack this. I know we know the word. I get it. But when I seen this in these passages, it blew my mind and it gave me such a confidence that it's nothing to do with me. It's all about Jesus. Amen. Stop trying to figure it out. Yes, you work out your salvation in the sense of being transformed. But the immediate moment you encountered the blood of Jesus, you were either born again or not. That is Bible 101 and you should give it up for him. Amen. It says the goat will carry on itself all of their sins. And remember what I said, the sins of commission or the sins of omission. That means the things you did and the things you don't even know that you did. And as people would go out 
as they would proclaim this. Here's the deal is that today Satan loves to condemn us. I know last night some of those couples were leaving and man, the enemy wanted to get in there and bring up this and bring up that. And there's condemnation and we get shut down and we're like, no. God convicts us and conviction is a good thing. Amen. Revelation says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. When my son runs in the road, he's going to get yanked out and shouted, maybe smacked on the rear end. I don't want you to die. Don't do that. He might not like it, but that's love. Sometimes God is going to speak that to you. And people say, well, how do I know I'm a believer? Do you know your sin? Well, yeah. Do you hate it? Well, yeah. I know it says it's fun for a season, but if you have the conviction of the Lord, then you understand what I'm talking about. It's a good thing to be convicted. It's the goodness of the Lord that leads you there. Amen. Let's walk in this. Because, see, if we hold on to our sins, we're not walking in faith. And you may have heard the famous story of the lady, and she would, she would go to the priest almost every day. And she would show up, and other people would be serving, and she would say, man, the Lord's been saying this, and the Lord's been saying that. And one day the priest kind of got frustrated with her, and he said, well, you really think God's speaking to you? And she said, oh, yeah. Well, why is God speaking to you and not me? And the priest said, you know what? If God's really speaking to you, when you go home and talk to him today, lady, I want you to ask him what it was that I did when I was a teenager. What did I do that's been hard for me to deal with? And she said, I'll ask him. And the priest thought he'd captured her. He thought he knew and that she would come back and say some bogus thing and he'd say no. And so she went home and she prayed. And she asked the Lord. And she came back the next day and the man of God was freaked out. And he said, well, and she said, yes, I asked the Lord. And he said, you asked the Lord about when I was a teenager and what I did. And she said, yes. And he said, what did the Lord tell you? What did the Lord tell you I did? And she said, the Lord told me to tell you. I can't remember. <laughs> Amen. The Lord told me to tell you I can't remember. Guys, the Bible says God chooses to forget. God can never forget lest he chooses to. I felt like I needed to come here and release you from some of the burdens you're putting around your own neck. Because listen, you are in a spirit-filled church that is on fire. We don't even need notes to go wherever and you guys will follow. But some of you need to hear this today. You are damning yourself. You are damning others and the Lord doesn't want you. And it's going to get crazy. Here's what happens though. Psalm 103.12, it says, as far as the east is from the west. Just think about that. Wherever that goat goes, the scapegoat. You know what it means? Escape goat. I have escaped judgment. I mean, that's his name. It's escaped. It's escaped me. I'm cleansed. Thank you. But as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. Do you believe that? Do you walk in cleanliness and, and, and reverence and sanctity knowing that God has done this? I mean, we're talking about the Day of Atonement. It's called Yom Kippur. Yom means day and Kippur is a, is a shortened verse for Kippurim. It means the day of cleansing. Either when I came to faith, God cleansed me or not. There's no more dead. It is done. The future sins of those that I'm being shaped into the image of Christ. Amen. Isaiah 38, 17. You have cast all my sins behind your back. Guys, do you see what's on my back? I have no idea. God's cast them behind his back. I'm talking to you. I'm talking about your issue, your struggle. I've got to say this multiple times. He says in Isaiah 44, 22, this is God's voice. He didn't write it for himself. He wrote it for me and for you. Be selfish is where it is a lamp unto our feet. I have blotted out like thick a cold, a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. In Huntington Beach where I live, the mist comes in in the morning. 
and it's gone by about 10, 11, you don't see it anymore. Every day his grace and mercy is removed all the time. I heard a pastor one time say, man, I'm a man of God, but you know what? I don't even feel like a Christian until I've had two or three copies and I read my Bible. That's a man of God and I believe him. I know what's inside of us. I said this last night. I don't need you to be perfect. I need us to be godly and pursue him and know life is crazy. Amen. Flee from sin. Flee from sexual immorality. Grab a hold of the things of God. But if I'm not secure in this, I'm not going to go anywhere. The Bible says who the sun sets free is what? Kind of free. Free indeed. It doesn't just say free, it says in deeds. When God repeats himself, he's making a point that you might not be listening to. There's now no condemnation. And here's the thing. This is where it's going to get good. It's all good because it's the word of the Lord. Amen. But when I say this is all really about Jesus, are you like, well, Pastor, well, Brian, you've been here enough times now and you're really stretching this. You're really stretching it. I mean, I know Jesus is the Lamb of God and the blood and all this stuff. But, but what do we have so far? We have two goats. We have some kind of a public trial. We have lost being cast. We have the priests bringing something forward. And we have God making the decision. We have a red sash. And we have one being sent out free into the wilderness to take our sins. And we have one that is going to die. Is there anywhere in the New Testament that you think you see that picture at all? Anywhere? Is there anywhere in this story that you say, huh, that reminds me of Jesus because if you have your Bibles or you want to look at the screen, I want to read for you Matthew 27, 15. And this should blow your mind. This will be the most beautiful thing you'll see today because when I got this, it freaked me out. Is what it says, Matthew 27, 15. Jesus, of course, is being harassed by everyone, even his disciples some of the time. I mean, this poor guy. Amen. And he shows up and he's about to be tried. And the governor Pilate is standing before him and he's trying to figure out why are the riots, why is the chaos, what are all these Jews doing, is Rome going to lose its mind? I've got to figure out something. And it says in Matthew 27, 15, now at the feast the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude a prisoner whom they wished. And at the time they had a notorious prisoner called what? Barabbas. Your translation might even have a name before Barabbas. Keep it quiet for now. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? For he knew that they had handed Jesus over out of envy. And when Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent to him, saying, have nothing to do with this just and innocent man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Guys, why is that even there? Why is that even in the text? We don't need to know this. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't make sense yet. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. So they asked, who do you want to release? And they rounded up the people to say, we want Barabbas so Jesus can die. And in verse 21 it says, And the governor, Pilate, answered, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What shall I then do with the Christ, Jesus? And they said, Crucify him. Escalated quick. And the governor said, Why? What evil has this man committed? What has he done? They don't even answer. They don't even give an answer. There's no reason. Sure, they believe he blasphemed and he was a rebel and a trouble starter. But they cried all the more, let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that instead a tumult was rising, 
he took water, washed his hands before the multitude and said, I am now innocent of the blood of this just person. Crazy. You see to it that it is your responsibility. So an innocent man was going to die, and it would be the responsibility of who? The priests. Let's put image five up there for a second. You guys are familiar with this, right? The only thing missing in this picture is that Jesus doesn't have a red sash on. You see, in this picture, what we see is Matthew 27, 28. Leave, this, leave the image up for now, but it says, they stripped Jesus and put a scarlet robe on him. Leviticus, there's a ritual of atonement. There's two goats. One's going to die. One's going to be released. They would be brought by the priest, but who would make the ultimate decision? The priests or God. They would cast lots on who made the decision, who died. God. The priest brought him in and said, here we go. And you say, Brian, they're stretching it. But here's the idea. Isn't it weird that his wife said, I have nothing to do with him? And what's even crazier is when Jesus is confronted by Pilate. Pilate says to Jesus, listen to this. Don't you realize, Jesus, I have the power to free you or crucify you. What does Jesus say? You have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Who is the one making the choice that Jesus would die, Pilate or God? God was making this choice, and here's why it is crazy. Jesus' name is Jesus. What's the other guy's name? Barabbas. Let's break his name down. His name is Bar Abbas. What does Bar mean? Simon Bar Jonah. What does Bar mean? The son. Barabbas' name is son of, and what does Abba mean? Father. Church documents, all translations, you know what it might say in your NIV? It might say Jesus Barabbas. Does it say that in anyone's Bible? Jesus Barabbas. Both these men are identical. Their names are both Joshua. The early church historian Origen hated this fact and didn't want to write about it ever. But you have Jesus, the son of the father, and you have Jesus, the son of the father. You have two goats. One's full of sin and one is not. They didn't put the red sash in the Passion of the Christ and they should have. The priests bring the man out and they want to cast the lots. Pilate thinks he's going to make a decision and God says, no, I'm going to make a decision. You have a sinful goat and you have a goat that's going to die. This is a radical picture. Why? Because I sat with a Jewish theologian, a man in his 60s, Dr. Michael Brown, and I asked him, what is the story of Barabbas about? And he said, it is about the day of atonement. You see, what's about to happen is you see this picture, which one are you? I wasn't born like Jesus. I was made in the image of God, but I'm Barabbas. I'm a murderer. I'm a liar. I'm a blasphemer. I'm jealous. I lust. I've got issues. This is me. But in this picture, what's about to happen is this man is about to become like this man so that this man can become like this man. Jesus was about to become like Barabbas and take on his sin so that Barabbas could be like Jesus and go free. Wow. Jesus was about to go to the grave to die and resurrect. And this is why it's crazy, is when you begin to read the rest of the New Testament, it all makes sense. Which Barabbas are you in the story? The son of God? Son of the Father? I know which one I am. I know what Jesus did. He was quiet. Power was given to who? God made the decision. 
If you take this picture, then you read verses like this that we all know. 2 Corinthians 5.12, listen to what it says. God made him who knew no sin to be what? That's the atonement. God made him who has had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. If Barabbas believed that day, he was the righteousness of God. I mean, this verse doesn't even really make sense. I was always like, well, wait a minute, God. I know Jesus wanted to die, but how do you get our sin on him? Well, it's a goat. It's a day of atonement. One was about to be left and you never hear from him again, but by a few verses, but the other was about to go and die and be the high priest and go behind the veil. It gets bitter. So in this picture, we see the son of the father, we see this ritual, and now the sins are transferred to Jesus, and the scapegoat leaves as well. Hebrews 13, 12. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. He was the type of the goat and the scapegoat. When Jesus went to the cross, what did he say? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he's a scapegoat. When he was in the garden, he said, if there's any other way, he wasn't saying, please do something else. He's saying, is there any other way? No. The only way is by this cup of blood that you have to drink. That is a ritual from the Old Testament that is really only about Jesus. And we see this picture. Jesus died in a remote place outside of the city. And there on a cross, he would have been asking the question, why are my people doing this? Why are my people doing that? The same thing probably the goats would have been thinking. You see, you need both goats, the death and sacrifice for sin, but want to leave to say there is now freedom because the sins have been taken. And what happens when Jesus was crucified? The Bible says he said, Lord, into your hands I commend my spirit. There was an earthquake and in the temple at the time, what was the priest doing? He was offering the Passover lamb. And what does the Bible say? The veil was tore from what? Top to bottom. If we close these curtains and we want to rip them open, we've got to start at the bottom. That's man going to God. But if God's going to come down to you, he comes from the top to bottom. Amen. Jesus was the scapegoat. He left. He entered in. Barabbas was free. And we see this picture where as he's crucified, the temple veil is shook. Think about when Jesus says things like this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way behind the veil into the presence of God. He's the priest. He's the sacrifice. This temple veil was 10 inches thick. It was 100 men to carry it, 50 feet high. This whole picture is the atonement. You say, Brian, what are you saying? That you have no right to feel shook in your faith if you've received on the blood of Jesus. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the goat, the scapegoat, the sacrifice. He's the priest. He enters in. He makes the way. Listen to this. A couple more verses and then we'll pray in a moment. It says Hebrews 9:11. Jesus Christ came as the high priest of the good things to come, meaning it was all prophetic. And with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, not of the creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, interesting, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place behind the veil once and for all. Amen. Eternal eternal redemption for you and me. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctities the purification of the flesh, which means it's outward, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, 
cleanse our consciences from dead works to the living God. If all of this ceremony and all of these offerings accomplish something once a year, how much more should the perfect sacrifice, the Son of God, cleanse all of us simply by believing and confessing? Amen? He says, for this reason, 15, he is the mediator of the new covenant. You want salvation? It's only through Jesus. No other God, false God, occult leader, new ageism. No one is the sacrificial lamb, the scapegoat, the Passover. It's Jesus. He says, for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of his death. And the NIV says, he has become a ransom for many to set them free. Think about Matthew 20, 28. I quoted it last night. Jesus did not come to be saved, but to what? Serve. And we always say, guys, get involved in serve, and you should. But you know what that verse is about? It's about the day of atonement. He goes on and he says, he did not come to be saved, but to save and to give his life as a ransom for many. The ransom means for Brian, for you, that we were captives who are now liberated. He's made payment for the slaves. It means who the son is set free and free. And guys, because of the atonement, I know that no matter where I are, I don't want to live in sin. I don't want to speak death. I don't want to be backhanded. I don't want to grieve the spirit of God. But I know what's in me. And I need you to help me and I want to help you. And that's called Christianity. Amen. The only true hypocrites are us because we know the truth. The world isn't hypocritical. They don't know any better. But that's how God found us and that's how God's moving goes. And do you guys love this stuff or what? Here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. The New Testament, as it's finished with Malachi 400 years, we meet a man who comes in the spirit of Elijah. What's his name? John the Baptist. John the Baptist is out there in the wilderness and he is, is it by himself for 20 years and he has a ministry for six months. I mean, think about that. 20 years alone with the Lord, a ministry for six months. Why am I going on about John? Because John is Jesus' cousin. Who is John's dad? John's dad's a priest. John's dad's a Levite. John's dad's, John's dad's an Aaronic priest in the line of Abijah. Are you saying when you read the New Testament that a guy in the wilderness whose Jesus is coming is a priest in the line of the Levites, the line of Abijah and Aaron? Yes. And theologians would say that the real high priest of that day wasn't even the real high priest, but Rome put him in place. And they would go as far as to proclaim that it's possible that John was the high priest of that day. Why is that radical? Because John walked the shores, the Jordan. Here comes Jesus, his cousin. What is the first thing he says? Behold the what? It's the day of atonement. Behold the Lamb of God who now will be cleansed. He's already clean, but it's a system for the day of atonement. We can go on and go on and go on with this stuff, but I want to wrap up with a few thoughts. Here's why it's insane. Jesus died in 30 AD. And for 40 years after that, every year, listen to me, there's a book, a Jewish book. There's two versions called the Talmud. The Talmud is written by Jews who do not believe in Jesus, and it's like a sacred writings in a sense. They don't want Jesus to be the Messiah. And so every year when they would go to the temple, Jesus dies in 30 AD, you just read about it. And for 40 years, whenever this time came up, there's four things that would happen. We can't cover them all. But what's crazy is when they would cast lots, 
it always fell to the same lot, okay? For 40 years, whenever they did it, it only ever fell to the lot, saying that who Jesus won is the one who died. This is in the sacred writings. That's like me flipping a coin 40 times every year for 40 years, and he only ever hits heads. Statistics say it's 55 trillion to one. Also, what it says is that the temple on this day, as they would go to sleep that night and sacrifice, in the middle of the night, the door would swing open by itself. They said the door would never close after that. On that day, it remained open. This is written in the Talmud. They would take a red sash and they would tie it on the doorpost. And when the Mediterranean sun rose, guys, this is written in the writings. They're not believers. As the sun for hundreds of years would hit this red sash, it would turn white. For 40 years after this, it never ever turned right again. Go on Wikipedia, read it. It remained blood red. Why? Because God was saying the door is open, the lot is fell to Jesus, there's no other sacrifice. The temple collapsed in 70 AD, amen? There's never been another atonement given since Jesus. It's never happened. Why do I feel called to proclaim this? Because as you get to the end of this, here's how it wraps up in Leviticus. It says in Leviticus 16, 29, this will be your statute forever. In the seventh month of the tenth day, you will afflict your souls. That means be downtrodden. And I want you to do no work at all. Verse 30 says, for on that day, the priest will make atonement for you to cleanse you. And you shall be clean from your sins. You've got to receive that. 31 says, it is a Sabbath day of rest. You must deny yourself. It is a lasting ordinance. Why I felt called to preach this is I feel like some of you don't know how to rest in God. You see, the Bible says we have peace with God through Jesus, but there's a peace of God. There's the peace with God because of the blood, but you might not be walking in peace. Do you have rest in the midst of any situation? I feel like preaching this today, we want to call for a moment for those who maybe don't know the Lord. Maybe they're not secure. Maybe they're still full of that sin and they need free forgiveness from the Lamb of God, Jesus, who's made the way. He's the truth and the life. Amen. But I feel like for many of us, you're not walking in this peace. You don't have the rest that Leviticus just said. It literally said... Once the sacrifice is made, you need to enter his rest. Because last time I checked, Jesus left this earth and took off, waved those guys bye-bye. And when he got into heaven, what did he do? He sat down. Christianity is awake at rest in Jesus. We're to cast away anxiety, cast away depression, cast away our issues. Why? Because we need to enter in this time of rest. What I want to do with us is this. Just bow your heads where you are. We never want to end a service without offering someone the opportunity who's been struck by the Lord to confess Jesus as Lord. Maybe you've been coming for church for years, you're looking at your phone most of the time, you've got grandma's Bible, and you're saying, I think I believe. Well, maybe today God stopped you in your tracks and you said, really? A book I never thought about, I heard about a Savior who for thousands of years prophetically lived, died, and rose again. I was born a liar, a blasphemer, a cheater. If I was to die in my sin, the Bible says I'm guilty. You're a breath away from heaven or hell. Whether one religion tells you it or not, this is what the Bible says and God shows himself to be true. You're in the house of God today because God is ministering to you and the Bible says the word goes out, it never attains void. Our payment is to be on that cross, but Jesus said, no, I'm gonna go in their place. You see, in the garden with Adam and Eve, when Eve fell, God came to Adam and Adam didn't cover her. 
He said, this is the woman you brought to me. He fled from the woman. But Jesus looked at that woman thousands of years later. And he said, I'm going to go and cover her because that woman is you and me. We're the church. And I want to ask you today, maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you've fallen into sin. Maybe you just aren't secure and you say, Lord, I need to trust and have faith in you. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you if you're Brian, years ago, dead in sin, lost. But I also want to pray for people as well who need peace, who need to know how to rest, who need to sit with the church and release things like they did in the book of Acts and say, God, I need more of you. I'm going down to an altar in faith and I'm believing and I'm releasing the things that I can't control because Jesus said it's finished, but it's just about to begin. It's done in him. If you're in here today with your head bowed and your eye closed and you say, man, I just want to know leaving here, I'm right with God. That's called repentance. That's called returning to the Lord. That's called crying out and lifting him up, confessing sin, and he'll take it right away. If you want to know knowing you're secure because God has spoken to you, that's you on the count of three. Would you just raise your hand where you are? One, two, three. Thank you, Lord. If you're in here today and you're saying, man, I just need to press into God. I need to leave here prayed up. And no one in this church is standing with me. I mean, we prayed for babies. We prayed for passing of saints as they entered heaven. And we sure as heaven want to pray with you. If you're saying, Lord, I just need a touch from heaven. I need some men and women to love on me. Would you just raise your hand where you are? Amen. Well, church, let's not just be bystanders. Let's be partakers. Let's all stand to our feet right now. And all I want to do is if you want to pray and it's doing business with Jesus, if you want to pray and it's to do with an issue of sin or coming back to the Lord or security, whatever it could be, you just feel that prick and unction from the Holy Spirit. If that was you, I've seen six or seven people raise their hands. Be bold. I want you to come out and come over here to my left, to your right. But if you're someone who says, I just need prayer, we're going to get into worship, have the prayer team, I'll come down and pray others. Would you just get out of your seats and come down to the front right here? Ask the person next to you, you need me to go down with you. Those who want to pray and confess, let's come to the front right here. And those who need prayer, let's come down to the front here because we're going to pray. We're going to believe. Come on, you guys, this is church, this isn't a religion. Give it up for the Lord, you guys. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. People have been praying for you. People have been believing for you. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. And whenever someone repents and turns, his prayers are answered. Well, Grandma probably prayed that old dusty Bible. She probably spoke tears and breathed life for you. Can we just have some of the prayer team come down with some of those? Maybe you were over here and we're just going to pray. And listen, maybe you're that person who's shy and you say, you know what? I can't go down there. That isn't me. Well, that's okay. It isn't that you walk down. It isn't that you raise your hand. It's the Spirit of God opening your eyes. Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, I see who you are. And Jesus said, wait a minute. You can't understand this unless you were born again. That's a work of God. Where God takes your sin. It's gone. He makes you a new creation. And so I'm going to pray us all into a prayer of repentance. Amen. But then we're going to begin to pray for these. Let's lift them up, guys. Let's say, Lord Jesus. Let's cry out loud. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge you, your life, your death, and that you rose again. I know I'm born into a fallen world. I know I've sinned, and I need forgiveness. And today I come to you.
My faith is in you. I ask for that forgiveness. Cleanse me. Save me. Make me your child as I repent. In Jesus' name. Come on, church. Give it up for these guys and girls. Thank you, Jesus.